Screen Heat Miami. This is our 17th episode. And for our 17th episode, we have something special. Of course, we have a special guest, and we'll get into that in just a minute. But my co-host, J.L. Martinez, was sick. So I had to get another co-host. And this is extra special. It's a director and an actor that has been in my heart since I started in the industry. Werner Herzog. Hello, Kevin. So nice to be here. I, this is just such an honor. Is this working? It's working. It's a very big microphone. I think it should be smaller. It probably help you better so we can see eye to eye. Yeah. Well, do you know, this is what we could afford. So. The filmmaker has to have vision. We have to see through the soul of the other person to communicate. Man, I don't even know what to say. I'm, I'm kind of dumbfounded because... Well, it's just my advice. You do whatever you want. It's your show. I'm just here as a talent. <sighs> Man. I just have to say, like... As a filmmaker, you have really set the bar. You've set the standards. Mm, thank you very much. You know, I give advice to young filmmakers all the time. I tell them the best I can. You know, the most important thing to remember is just don't be a fucking coward. You have to have, even if you're a girl, you have to have balls in this industry. It's the only way it works. Well, we say cojones here ah, in Miami. Yes, I forgot. We're in Miami. Hola. I started a little bit in Spanish. I met a pretty girl in Europe. She was from Spain. And so I appreciate the language and the passion. It's such a beautiful country here in Miami. I'm sure you appreciate the passion because your films. Oh, yes. I have done many films, all works of art. Now I'm acting. I'm having so much fun with that. I was just going to get to that. Your passion in the Mandalorian. Oh, yes. It's a small role, you know, but I did it as a favor, and I work with uh, good people, talented people, but, you know, I again, I just, I, I maybe would have done a few things differently. Like what? Well, for example, John Favreau, a brilliant filmmaker, writer, you know, has great vision, but, you know, he decided to try to do animatronic and CGI. So we had to do everything two takes, one with the animatronic, one with the plate for the CGI. And I said to him directly, I said, you guys are cowards. You stick to your vision. And they kind of were taken aback, but I said, you know, you have to trust your soul, your instincts. That's what makes you a filmmaker. <sighs> wow. Hmm. I know you have to catch a plane, so... Uh, yes, we had a good laugh about it, though. Everything is fine. And uh, good luck to them at Disney Plus. You're great. You know, I look forward to other great, inspiring stories. I look forward to more roles from you uh, as an actor. Yes, let's see. I have to get a new agent now. <laughs> oh, J.L. Martinez! Man! Hey. I thought you couldn't make it! No, I'm here. What's going on, guys? Oh! Oh my gosh, Werner Herzog. How'd you get him? Dude, he has to leave. Ah, hey, bye, Werner. <laughs> Good to see you for a second. Gone. Ah, we're back in. Here Whew. it goes. Well, you know, good thing our guest is as big as Werner Herzog. As big as Werner Herzog? Yes. That's, yes. that's a big deal. Yes. A career that has lasted from... One big film mm. to the big film that he has out right now. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm going to let you drop the name. Gregory Allen Howard. Gre 
Gregory Allen Howard. Oh, that's exciting. This is a gentleman that's had a storied career in the industry, and, and he speaks very candidly about it and how he came from humble beginnings, how he struggled so much to and just to break in. feel that struggle you feel, in this interview. You're right. You feel the struggle in his voice, but it's a very genuine inflection in, in what it really takes, like the dedication that you have to have and the journey of getting important cinema made. Well, this is a must-listen interview for anyone. Yeah. Anyone, no matter what industry. But you have to understand that Gregory Allen Howard wrote one of the biggest movies of all time. Remember the Titans. Ah, uh, I do remember the Titans. Because <laughs> uh, it keeps coming. <laughs> yes, and, and, and thanks to... Uh, it's a Titan. Yeah, Disney Plus. I get to watch it now, stream it whenever I want, which I did in preparation for the interview, so thank you to Disney Plus. We talked about it on our last episode about how when you open up that Disney Plus app. Mm-hmm. Remember the Titans is right there front and center. It's on the home screen. It's all the it, they have a whole section called I guess inspired by true stories or true events and it's it's right there front and center. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there is a little tidbit in the interview mm-hmm. about Remember the Titans and Disney Plus. Yes. Must listen to that section. Maybe there's something in the future. Yeah, could be a little Easter egg in there. You got to listen to the interview on that. Oh, anticipation. But let's jump into our sponsors first. Oh, yes. Uh, again, this is Screen Heat Miami brought to you by... Kajik Multimedia. Cinevision. <laughs> Very good. Miami Media and Film Market. And Gamacol. And I am Kevin Sharpley. And I am JL Martinez. Werner Herzog is gone now. Yeah. You got to give a nod to him. How was that? Oh, man. You got to listen for yourself. Oh, man. I can, now I can't wait. I almost want to stop and do a playback, see what you guys were talking about. You got to play it back. I hear he's edgy. Oh, man, he was edgy. <laughs> he's, he's almost as candid as Gregory Allen Howard. No, no. not quite. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> you'll, you'll, you, you, our listeners, you'll hear it in the interview. Right. But let's start to jump into the rehash of what's going on in the industry now. Well, you know, and, and you forwarded this, and it's a huge time bomb that exploded in the New York Times. Uh, this this really sort of, I think, seminal moment in the era of streaming. Uh, There's a great New York Times article called The Streaming Era Has Finally Arrived. And it really puts, I think, everything that we've been speaking about from our first our first podcast. Yeah. Into like perspective and how real this is. The New York Times finally caught up to us. They did. Yes. Well, it was about time, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but it but 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 it has really changed. And the New York Times says that there are seminal moments Mm -hmm. in the film and entertainment industry that change the zeitgeist, Mm -hmm. seismic shifts. So you want to think when television first came into play. First of all, the advent of sound. We go through a little film history lesson. That's the first seismic change. Uh, that then color in film. Color in film. Then television. Then television. Then cable television. And MTV. MTV changed everything dynamically because you look at movies before that were more rhythmic and the scenes lasted longer and there were fewer scenes. Right. Now with music video and that visual language, there are more scenes, there are more cuts. The movies move at a faster pace. It's a, an entirely different thing. Yeah, which also, by the way, changed the music industry. Yeah, you yeah. Know, that's and why, they all feed. That's why I said yeah. the film and entertainment industry. Sure. And so the New York Times is pinioning that the seismic shift now 
is streaming. We are in the middle of another seismic shift. This is like an L.A. earthquake of massive proportions. Or a Miami hurricane. Or a Miami hurricane. Category 5 seismic shift in the industry uh, that has to do with these once-in-a-generation changes, and that all has to do now with the streaming wars. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 really big time. And you look at Disney+, Plus. like I said, $10 million. They thought by the end of the year they were going to be at $8 million. That's what they were projecting, right? Off the bat, $10 million. In the first day. Yeah. But I don't think even Disney, I mean, obviously they probably did, uh, appreciate how powerful of a brand they have. You know, I think there's an agency in New York called Saatchi and Saatchi. Yeah, Saatchi and Saatchi. Yeah. yeah. There's one of the biggest advertising agencies in the world. They had this thing called Love Marks. Yeah, Love Marks. What's in the hearts of people. Yeah, Disney is one of those brands. Yeah, certainly. They say Coke, you know, is one of those brands. and Yeah. But certainly uh, Disney is, and and, it, and the proof is in the pudding. Yeah. But these streaming wars, you know, Netflix was an anomaly by itself, you know, when it first came on board. And it took a while for, you know, people to catch on. So then Hulu stepped in. And Hulu, if a lot of people don't know, was an amalgamation of other content companies, you know, so other networks. So networks right. came together and they had a lot of content and they formed Hulu. Now Hulu you know, has been divested and, you know, you've had other people come in and buy Hulu. And then, you know, at Amazon Prime, they were still kind of anomalous, but now everyone's entering the fray. Yes, and the article talks about how it did take a while for the media companies, the traditional or the legacy companies. That were waiting in the wings. Yeah, the big three. We talk about Disney, uh, you know, Warner Media, which, you know, AT&T AT now. now owns it. And, it was Turner Warner. Right. And then Comcast, obviously, with NBC, NBC Universal. NBC Universal, yeah. And so, so yeah, those three took a while to catch up because, again, they were giving up something that was right now very profitable. You know, the, those uh, ancillary rights, cable television, the cash cows, and even the bundles of licensing dollars they were getting from Netflix. And advertising. And yeah, advertising. And advertising. And so for them to say that, you know, this is no longer our future, that we need to jump now before it's too late. Uh, they were pushed into that uh, momentous occasion now where they're all saying one by one, now we have to be all in. But I have to give it up for HBO because HBO started a little bit earlier than all of these entities with HBO Go. Correct. And so they measured that calculus and they already mm. kind of offset a bit they did. when HBO Go finally pushed. And then that gives Warner, that's what's really given Warner Media that push to then do HBO Max. Right, because, because they they're were, already in the right. streaming game. They created that platform already for them, you know, which is why, I, I, you know, obviously they, they're calling the whole platform HBO Max. Yeah. It's because, like you said, HBO had already created that nest, that platform for this to accelerate now. Yeah, but, you know, as they say in poker or any game that plays with chips, everyone is all in. Yeah. They put all the chips in. All the chips are on the table. This is Woo! a high stakes game. <laughs> this is a billion dollar buy-in type of game. Multi-billion dollar buy-in because now it's multi multinationals, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So it's it's exciting. So I'm I'm excited and then, you know, talk about one of these streamers uh that's having is having a big day today. Uh our buddies at Netflix have finally, finally. today you can see the Irishman. Irishman. The three and a half hour magnum opus of the maestro. Yeah. I am excited. Yeah. There's so much, so much to see, mm-hmm. but I am very excited. Yes. And a, a fun little thing that I actually did last weekend in New York is that they, uh, they de-aged Little Italy. 
Oh, yeah. So this is like, a you know, obviously a, a little PR campaign yeah. that Netflix came up with. So that whole little Italy neighborhood of New York, mm-hmm. everything looks like 1975 for a weekend. Oh, wow. And certain shops uh, are are participating, you know. And so if you, if you mention like a secret password or something, you got like free food. Oh, really? Yeah. It was like, uh, I'll tell you what it was. This was an article in uh, in Time Out New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they basically said uh, that that. The, the whole neighborhood was kind of buying into this idea, uh, and lots of shops were were participating. Uh, so if you say something like, you know, I'm with Jimmy or I know Jimmy, then you get free stuff. Oh wow! Yeah, and obviously there there are other things like you know obviously Netflix will be giving away posters of the show and and all that kind of entry. So you know I like that you know they they are a digital platform, but they are experimenting with the physical world as well with these kind of things. I'm sure they've done similar things you know with uh, Stranger Things, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know little pop up events around the country right. to promote it uh, because again they 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 don't bank on that theatrical release like like some no. of the others. No, they so, don't have to. They don't have to. Yeah, so, but I did want to talk about another war that's going on. Animation Wars. Okay. You know about the Animation Wars? Please explain. This is Oscar season brimming, over brimming. So now you have representations from all the big studios going head to head. Mm. So you have from Pixar, the buzz is Toy Story 3. Now we know that Pixar is under Disney, but still, you know, you have that infighting. So with Disney, you have Frozen 2. And everyone's feeling that. And you have daughters, so I'm sure you're going to feel that as well. Frozen 2, yeah. Yeah. And for our listeners, you know, we have a little segment that you're going to listen to. I'm going to kind of hint this little segment. (laughs) Our little baby screen heaters. We have baby screen heaters. They are are very astute critics of, of the streaming industry. So you'll be able to find a little segment of our baby screen heaters. Oh, yes. Online. Oh, yes. And yeah. you, you go to uh, ScreenHeatMiami.com and you'll be able to see that little segment. So I had to give a little departure on that. But you have DreamWorks with How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Mm-hmm. So this is their third installment. Right. And all those installments have done phenomenally well. So you have these studios button heads now, you know, and with the streaming wars, you can oh. just imagine. Oh, yeah. How this is going to play out, because uh, a lot of these have, you know, their collaterals then that pour out into series. Of course. And then those series then pour out into the streaming. Yes. So, you know, the Oscar season is heating up. It's as competitive as it gets. As competitive. And the streaming is actually heating that up even more. It is still the film industry Super Bowl. I read in Hollywood Reporter that, you know, there's rumblings and talks of because this is becoming such a collateralized industry, you know, Emmys, Oscars, maybe there's, there should be a merger of these oh, yeah, big right. entities. Okay, yeah. Because it is really becoming, you know, this revolving door. And it was not like that before. You know, if you're an A-list director or an A-list writer or an A-list actor, you wouldn't do, you know, smaller form content. Sure. It just wouldn't be done. And right. now it's just, you know, it makes no difference. I mean, Julia Roberts now, uh, who arguably has been one of the biggest A-list actresses, mm. she uh, has, you know, her show. And I loved her show on Amazon Prime, right. you know. So 
you know, it's really changed. No, it's, it's true. Really and and we, we talked about it in the interview, remember, with Brett Potter about, you know, it's all semantics now. It's basically content. And what you call it really just depends. Yeah, you know? it and, depends. Yeah. And so, like I said, it's, it's not surprising that they're having these conversations about should we merge the Emmys and Oscars? Um, how long would that be? Is that like a one day marathon? <laughs> As I don't know. These, these award ceremonies weren't long enough. Yeah, but that's very interesting. Conversations are happening that the industry is still trying to wrap their head around. Yeah, and you know it's a funny thing that I brought up Julia Roberts because our next guest. Ooh, that's a good teaser. We got to save it for the outro, but yeah, for the outro. I think I want. There's some controversy because I want to. I want to. I want us to hear what Greg had to say, but then yes, there is controversy. Okay, so you gotta you gotta get with us on the other side. Get with us on the other side. Listen to Greg, and then we were we're gonna wrap that around into this Julia Roberts thing. That's gonna be amazing. Yeah, this is a hot interview. Gregory Allen Howard, and he currently has out the hit movie. Yes, Harriet. That he was a producer, and he wrote the original story, and you know the screenplay. Um, I mean, and it is a, a the movie is a tour de force. So yeah, it's 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 still it should be in theaters now. If you get a chance, to a check cinema it out. score, critical oh praise. Yeah, it's blown. It's a box office. Right. So Oscar buzz. That's like o- Oscar buzz. Too. Oscar beehive. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so without further ado, Gregory Allen Howard. So. It's it's definitely yeah. The blue mic is great, and we are still looking for sponsors. So blue mic, if you're listening, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We so, love your product. Uh, are so, we hot now? We're hot. We're, we're here. We're going, Mr. Gregory Allen Howard. Gregory Allen Howard. What a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, sir, for gracing us with your presence. Happy to be here. So this is our third time around because we had you for the conference two times. Mm. And now we have you for the podcast. There you go. For anyone that couldn't make it, you get to enjoy the ride <laughs> through this audio format. <laughs> but um, I just want to jump straight in because Disney Plus just launched. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking about Disney Plus. When you open the app, one of the first things that you see is Remember the Titans. Really? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm. It's yeah. one of the first offerings that, you know, you open the app and you see mm-hmm. it. So... You wrote, for me, one of my favorite movies of all time, Remember the Titans. Thanks. And so we're happy to see that in this new evolution of the industry, which is now the streaming, you know, that Titans is full front and center. Great. So I need the money. <laughs> <laughs> Better give Disney account a call there. <laughs> oh, they, they send me residuals every quarter. Yeah, oh, wow. Very nice. Still getting them. <laughs> That's great to hear. But, um, you know, it is apropos because what we like to do at Screen Heat Miami is to go through a journey. So we like to talk about that journey that has brought you to the point where you're at right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let's kind of start from the beginning. So when you say journey, you're talking about the journey for Harriet or my journey? Your journey. Kind of like the same thing because Harriet was my first uh, assignment in Hollywood 26 years ago. So that was kind of the beginning. It's ironic that now 26 years later it got made. But, you know, I've had had a career before, or I should say I had a career after I wrote Harriet. I just had to put it on a shelf for a while. Um... But, you know, that was sort of, the, you know, my first assignment. That was kind of the beginning. Mm. And um, I was kind of disappointed it didn't get made then, but I didn't understand how the process worked. And 
you know, once I discovered how the process worked, you know, my agent at the time <clears throat> told me just keep writing. So that's what I did. Wow. So let's go to the start. Um, L.A. Where, where are you from? Well, yeah, well, I'm from Virginia, but, you know, I was from a Navy family and I was born in Virginia, but I grew up in Northern California and went to high school there. And that's, you know, I call that home, but being from a Navy family, we lived all over the place while I was growing up. But that's the last place. That's the place I went to high school mm. and my family still lives there. Vallejo is a small town in the Northern Bay Area. And um, the most famous uh, person from Vallejo is Sly, from Sly and the Family Stone. He oh, actually wow. grew up, well, he's older than me, but he grew up maybe a block away from me, his family. So it's a funky town. Yeah, <laughs> kind of is. <laughs> yeah, so um, did your upbringing, and you find this a lot in the entertainment business, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of people have moved around a lot. Mm-hmm. Did that help to shape your writing at all? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it did inform because, you know, from the ages of 5 to 15, we moved 10 times, being in a Navy family. So I don't really have any childhood friends. My friends were my family, my siblings. And um, it's made me feel sort of nomadic in life. You know, I mean, I look at people who always lived in one place their entire life, and it's like, well, what is that like? <laughs> and weirdly, because I moved so much when I was young, I get bored with places. And I like, you know, I like a change of, I love, you know, travel just for that reason, because that way it kind of keeps things interesting. Yeah, well, I'm going to go backwards in a minute, but let's just talk about Titans, which was a really regional film mm-hmm. and very specific to that area. Yeah. You know, how, how did you get into the zone well, to write that? I, You know, after I wrote Ali, I was the first writer on Ali. This is going back, Jesus, must be going back to 95. I felt confident enough because the head of the studio then, Mark Canton, said he's going to make Ali. So I said, <coughs> I can move now because I really wanted to live in the East. I didn't want to I hated L.A. and still do. And um, so I, I had to pick a place in the East to live. I'd already lived in New York, and it was incredibly expensive. I wasn't, you know, I was working, but I wasn't doing that well. Mm. So I had to pick some place in the East Coast. I wasn't going to move to Boston, a horribly racist city. Mm. So I'm going down Philadelphia. I'd never been there. Didn't, you know, wasn't sure about it. but And I had never been to Alexandria, which is in the D.C. metro, but I had cousins there. I had family there. And I was from Virginia, born in Virginia, different part. So I said, you know what, I'll move to Alexandria. And I did. And that was it. You know, but again, they said, are you going to like it? I said, listen, the way I grew up, I can adjust to any place. So I moved to Alexandria. That's how I ended up there. I'd never been there before, but, you know, it's right across the bridge from D.C. And I said, you know, listen, I'll adjust. It doesn't matter. All right. And how did you get into the story? How did you Well, once I, once I moved there and Ali went in the tank and the chairman of the studio got fired, you know, whenever they, there's a change in the studio at the top, all those projects that he or she... Uh, was championing, right? They get killed. Now, if they're too far down the road, they can. If the budget is too much, they they kind of can't. I have my metaphor for movies in Hollywood is the train going down a track, and you can stop a train fairly easily when it's first pulling out. 
throw a few things in front of it. Once that thing starts barreling down the track, there's nothing you can do. <laughs> Forget about and it. And so when a new chairman comes in, if it's barreling down the track, they can't stop it. They won't. It's too expensive to stop it. Mm. But mine wasn't. You know, This was Ali with Will Smith. This is Ali with Will Smith. Mine wasn't barreling down the track, you know. Because Mark Canton was dropping more bombs than they dropped at Pearl Harbor. And so <laughs> they, they took away his green lighting power. He was like just fighting for his job. So Ali was in that mix of things that he wanted to make, but it wasn't barreling down the track. And uh, he got blown out. And so they put it in development. Hmm. You know, they met with Will. Will was actually just a TV star then at the time. I say just. You know, he had done maybe a couple movies. but He wasn't big, big, big. And uh, Ali went in the tank. So I was looking around for my next project. And then I was 3,000 miles from home. So it was a little bit daunting, a little scary, to tell you the truth. And then once I moved to Alexandria, I realized this place is really integrated. Because D.C. isn't. They're integrated during the day for work, but not at night. Mm. And uh, this place was integrated day and night. And it, I said, this is remarkable. How is that? I said, you won't believe this, but a high school football team integrated the city. And I said, I don't believe it. It's the strangest thing I've ever heard. And, uh, you know, I found the coaches and, and verified it and did some research. And, yeah, that's – and I said, I just think this is an incredible story. And, uh, you know, tried to sell it, and I couldn't. And uh, eventually I just wrote it. Wow, so you, you wrote it on spec, It was a spec script. People don't realize that. They think it was a book, but it wasn't. It was a spec script, only because I couldn't sell it. Wow. But it's so interesting, again, like he discovered the story in the town. So the location, the venue, what happened there historically is really what inspired you to, to move forward. Yeah, it was integrated. The most integrated city I've been in. Wow. Well, what's interesting to me is you told me about the amount of research that yeah. you did on this, the interviews. That's not unusual. Anybody does true stories, if they do them well, like these guys wrote Dolomite, they're two of the best. There are a few people in town, not many, who do true stories, and they tell you the same thing. It take, you know, to do a true story right, if there's no book, because I've only adapted once in my entire 30-year career, because the books aren't good enough to adapt. So if you're doing a true story from you know, books, magazines, you know, using all these sources and everything, you're looking at a minimum of six months. Hmm. It just takes time. You can't do it. That's why people like to adapt books. They can read one book and write a script. But nine out of ten times, it's shit. But if you're doing this from scratch the way that I work, yeah, it takes six months. That's not, and that's not even a long time. Did you tape the interviews? Or did you no. take notes? I, no, I took notes. You know, I should have... It's, I, it's just the way I started taking I just always took notes I should have taped them but just take notes Mm -hmm. and you know I have a very good memory as any writer probably does have a very good memory so the the, even the notes I took were really just to remind me what people were saying but no I had hours though hours and hours and I have enough material even now uh, that I could do a limited series. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Might not be a but, bad idea. <laughs> yeah, it well, might yeah, not. We're, we're actually going to try and do something with Disney+. Plus. Huh. But you take all that stuff, and then you boil it down and boil it down and boil it, and then it becomes a diamond. If you don't do that, then it doesn't become a diamond. Hmm. 
you know, but you, it's, it's, it's an investment of time to do a true story. Now, fiction, sit on your ass and create something. I'm not minimizing it. I'm just saying, doing a true story, it's got to be recognizable uh, by the people who are involved. It's not no perfect. It's not. And I make up whatever I need to make up, but it needs to be recognizable mm. by them. Well, right. I'm, I'm going to get to Harriet in a minute because that's sure. going back and going forward. Mm-hmm. Right. But let's just talk about Ali because you knew Muhammad Ali. I was friends with him for the last 25 years of his life. Very close to him. He was my, my idol. Yeah. And you wrote, for me, one of the most powerful pieces on Ali for one of the most powerful books yeah, Tosh, on Ali. Yeah. Can the you goat talk book. about that? Well, they invited, you know, Toshin invited me to write for the Goat Book, which is the greatest of all time, the 75-pound coffee table book. Uh, from what I understand, it's the largest physical book ever published. It was wow. bound by the Vatican, in fact. Jeez. And um, they invited me to write some essays for it. And I wrote, uh, they, want, they paid me for three, and I said, well, there's one other one I want to write. He said, go ahead. We're not going to pay you any more money. <laughs> you ever dealt with them damn Germans? I'm telling you, cheapskates. Greg, <laughs> we love you. We just don't have any money. Right. So um, I wrote four essays, one about the Ali kids, which got truncated. You know, didn't want to reveal that much. One about Bingham, his best friend. And one about Ali and his father. And then the bonus one, which they didn't pay me for, Rumble in an Urban Jungle. Hmm. And uh, they called me after I submitted these, and they had essays from everybody. I mean, Norman Miller, Bud Schulberg, some of the greatest writers ever. And they said, Greg, we love your original essay so much, we're going to make it the introduction of the GOAT book. So, um, you know, I was very honored by that. I really was. Rumble in an Urban Jungle is about when I was very young and I saw the uh, Rumble in a Jungle at uh, Madison Square Garden. Hmm. Yeah. Um, just so a good voiceover. I think I'm going to have to get you for one of my voiceover characters. Okay. <laughs> that did sound really good. But yeah, I see this sort of thread, this connection in the sports world, at least. Uh, but I just I find those stories naturally so inspiring and you want to follow them. You know, and I, mm-hmm. I, I was mentioning, you know, to Kevin to prepare. I did see uh, Remember the Titans on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I just felt like, you know, the story obviously being bigger than the sport itself, right? But I thought that the sport really helped move the story. Yeah, along. of course. You have to use you have to use the way to do a true story, and you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this out. You have to use the events as backdrop. Now, unfortunately, when these people do these damn true stories, they try to put the events forward. Hmm. It's not that. you got to have a little personal story in the front, right. and the events are backdrop. Hmm. You keep that in your brain. I have to keep it in mind sometimes. Sometimes right. I forget. But there's got to be a compelling story so that if you took away the backdrop, you'd still have something. Right. See, if you take football out of Titans, it still works. Right. Mm-hmm. Ra- racial reconciliation. Right. You can set Titans in a factory floor. You can set it anywhere. It didn't matter. Mm. Then you know you have something. Right. But if you take away the events and you don't have anything, like Michael Mann did with uh, Ali after I got replaced, <laughs> take go. away those events, there's nothing there. Right. Nothing. Right. Yeah, no, you're totally right. That's why you feel empty after you see something like that. It's like, yeah. I, yeah. It's missing the soul. 
Missing the soul. Wow. And Titans, it, it stood the test of time. Of I mean, course. you watch that movie now. It's become a it's, classic. It's as relevant yeah. as yeah. watching it back then. And you know then. what I love, too? Like, and I just, it felt very musical, too. I felt like the music part of it, and even mm-hmm. just their own chanting and how they use music as a way to bridge that divide. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the soundtrack and then, obviously, the dialogue, it all kind of married itself in a, a very musical way. Well, you mentioned music. Who, who produced Titans? Who? Jerry Bruckheimer. Really big on music. Yeah. yeah. Very big on music and sound. And music and sound. That's yeah. right. What's yeah. it like working with Jerry? Well, he's great. I, I consider him a mentor. I mean, he he's really was good to me and, um, you know, promoted me and everything. So he, he's just... And I learned from him, you know, to try and be nice to people. I've never... I've been around him a lot. Not so much in the past five years, but never once saw him lose his temper or raise his voice. Mm-hmm. He's open to everybody and just, uh, you know, weirdly humble. Hmm. Yeah, that's he doesn't really have to doubt himself because he's Jerry B. (laughs) That's right, right. But 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 I've I've seen him on the set and he's, you know, some of these some of these people you can't approach him. You just you know not him. Hmm. You know you can approach him. He he couldn't be nicer. Wow. Never raises his voice. Yeah, wow, that's that. Well, that's good to hear. No, yeah, that's true. a good Hollywood story. It, he seems like that typical A-list producer that would have that cachet. That he, he has the cachet. That type A. Yeah, but you know, you well, know. he's type A in terms of ambition and everything. Right. But he's not. He's not a. He's not a, a impolite or anything. Hmm. Interesting. So, so we have Titans, and that's a huge success. That was one of the biggest successes of that year. Oh yeah. Yeah, not only over 100 million, but sold 25 million units in the DVD market. Mm. It was fourth in the year wow. in the DVD, and they don't sell like that anymore. No. We hit the peak. But uh, yeah, no, it was uh, it was incredibly successful. And it wasn't a huge budget film. No, 30 million. Yeah, wow. because we're talking now about you know films that you know maybe have budgets of 150 200 million dollars that's stupid to me yeah and you're not that's before p and a yeah you know you bet if you do a 150 million dollar movie and then you put in prints and advertising you know it's 250 you bet in the studio on a single movie 400 million dollar mm-hmm. movie yeah. you're, you're you're betting the whole studio and they've done it and and, and tanked horribly mm. scorsese talked about it he had uh, he was you know. right it's not cinema it's a theme park. <laughs> you agree? Hundred percent. Of course. Did you read the op-ed? What by him? Yeah, by him. I think I read it. I can't remember, but he's right. And, and the people who've been in the business a long time agreed with him. They they didn't think what he said was controversial at all. They, mm-hmm. But understand something: there's a place for the theme park, mm-hmm. but it does squeeze out, right? Um, you know, dramas. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like in the 80s and 90s, there was a place in the studio system for these, what they used to call mid-range movies. Yeah, squeezed out. Yeah, and those are gone. There's only so many screens. Yeah. Not only so many screens, you know, there's this brutal competition to be number one. And, you know, listen, when when a $150 million movie hits, even with the P&A and everything, but, you know, you're setting yourself up as a studio when you make a $150 million movie. That damn thing's got to do $500 million worldwide to break even. Right. See, yeah. I would never take that risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet, when you have something that sort of goes against the grain like Joker, which is really just a dark drama with, uh, 
you know, origin story, but it's original. And people mm-hmm. get excited. Only cost sixty million dollars. I say only because that's not very much. They probably spent another fifty P and A, and it's going to make a billion dollars. Why? It, 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 it topped a billion. Yeah, just because a few days because ago. it's dark. It's original. Doesn't feel. I don't think Scorsese would object to that because it's a real dark drama mm-hmm. and it's woke. You know. But that cartoonish stuff, and I love comics. I stopped going to those superhero movies, oh, at least seven, eight years ago. It's all the same movie. Mm-hmm, I, right. just, I can't watch them anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, we then are going to take it away from the superhero movies, and we're going to go back to After Titans and where After Titans yeah, like, what did you do after that? What was well, I kept doing? writing. I yeah. mean, you know, I've never stopped. You know, I, 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 after Titans, I had a choice. I could have made a pile of money by doing things I really didn't care about that much that paid well. Or I could, you know, do things that kind of got me excited that were smaller, and I did. And people say, what happened in the aftermath of Titans? Because that's when you, you're supposed to be raking the money in. I said I did two things. And now one of them is going to get made. And one of them was actually three things. Two with Jerry. Or three with Jerry. I can't remember. No, two of them with Jerry. I did three scripts after that. Mm-hmm. One was about a, a Jewish boxer from Russia who uh, moved to a bed and was getting his butt beaten. So he, he had to learn. His brother took him in to learn how to box to protect himself. And he came under the tutelage of an 80-year-old black man, a legendary trainer. And we're working on packaging that right now. It's Mm. called Knockout. And I did another one about, for Jerry, that was for Jerry, and then another one for Jerry about um, a black high school coach in uh, Ohio who coached some Amish Mennonite kids to a championship, high school basketball championship. And I wrote a, a Civil War story uh, about the youngest commissioned soldier in the uh, Union Army. Hmm. And um, that's what I did. Now, did I turn down a lot of money? Yeah, but I'm not, I'm not unhappy. I made those choices because these are things that turned me on and got me excited and they're great. Like, just like Harriet, you know, if I invest myself in the script, it don't get old. Right. You know. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that I teach my students. Yeah. You know, I, I tell them that one of the most valuable things is if you write a good script. Yeah. And I consider it like a commodity. Yeah. Like a house, you know, or anything that can accrue over time. Right. It's an asset. It's an asset. It's an asset. Yeah. And so that's what. And, and obviously with Harriet, which I wrote 26 years ago, they never get old. Mm. It's yeah. an evergreen story, as they say. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just want to take a, a, a brief departure because... You write in many different mediums. You've written plays. Yeah, I wrote one play. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit sad that I didn't, uh, you know, pursue my playwriting more. But they started writing those checks to me, and I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of hard to turn down. Yeah, but I'm going to go back to theater next year. I'm going to block out some time and do another play. Oh, wow. But, yeah, I, I want to. I'm not a novelist, but I do write essays. I write short stuff, essays and stuff. But I want to go back, and I'm going to do another play next year. Do you have a story on that? 
Do we, do, we, uh, do we have a Screen Heat exclusive? No. Oh. And, you know, I, but I am going to do a straight play next year. But it is an exclusive that he's going to do a play. So we do That's have some, some kind of exclusive. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Harriet. Or let's talk a lot about Harriet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, after Titans, I had a measure of success. So I tried to get Harriet. You know, that's why, you know, I tried to get Harriet off the ground. But, you know, like I've, I've said before, the climate in Hollywood was just not good for doing, you know, black cast movies, let alone a slave movie. Mm. So I tried, but, uh, you know, I got thrown out of all those offices and just had to put it on the shelf. I was waiting for the um, climate to change in Hollywood. So I just kept working. And then, you know, about... Eight years ago, um, 12 Years a Slave was in development and, you know, got made. And uh, I waited a couple years after it had been out because I wanted to make sure it made money. Because you got to make money. You know, this is a business. And uh, it did great business. And I told my agent, you know, um, 2015. I said, we can we can get Harriet going now. He said, haven't you given up on that? I said, I don't give up on my scripts. They're like my children. Hmm. It's like saying you give up on your child. No, I don't. No, I, don't. I, don't I don't give a damn how old it is. I just changed the date on it. What difference is it? There you, go. you know, people always ask me, well, did you update? I said, how the hell are you going to update a period movie? It was either good for that period or it wasn't good for the period. Now, if it's contemporary, that's something else. But I don't know how you update a period movie. I think it's a nonsensical question. Right. right. So I gave it to, you know, Deborah Martin Chase, the producer, and uh, she didn't want to read it. She thought, oh, God, a slave story. <laughs> And, uh, and then she read it and called me up all excited. I thought this was going to be a boring slave story. It's exciting. You made Harriet an action adventure. I said, no. Now, I didn't tell her. I, you can't. You can't tell people you wrote something 20 years ago. They won't even They won't even get close to it. So I just kept changing the date. She said, now, when did you really write this? You know what I'd say? A while ago. Hey. That's my general answer for all my scripts. A while ago. Right. Yeah. Now yeah. that's made, you can say. Yeah. A while. <laughs> it's been a while. And wow. then, uh, you know, things, you know, listen, it was tough even from 2015 because the environment was better. You know, the Oscars so white thing and everything. They weren't hostile anymore, but it was still tough, you know, getting money because it was a black cast movie. Hmm. And uh, we put together a couple of packages and they fell apart. You know, one was with the director, really good director, and then it just fell apart, you know, when she bailed out. She got tired of waiting for us to get the other piece of money. It's so frustrating. Then we had to put another package together, then that fell apart. And then eventually, you know, this came together and then Focus got in it mm. in the last uh, year. And that made everything much easier. You know, putting a, putting together a project indie is brutal. Mm. Brutal. Yeah. You know, so that's, uh, you know, and so, it, it, listen, and Casey did a great job, um, you know, directing the movie, and she put her stamp on the script, which she's certainly entitled to. Yeah, um, she did one of my favorite films, uh, Eve's Bayou. Oh, my God, yes. It was, it was, it was lyrical and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And 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 uh, this version of Harriet also had some lyricism to it, but it yes. had so many different beats. 
Yeah. And rhythms, you know? And it was exciting, which is what I wanted. I wanted, I didn't want to make a boring movie, you know, probably because I got ADHD. Mm. I don't, I get bored so easily, you know, so mm-hmm. I got to keep things interesting for me. If I get bored, I'm thinking, well, the audience is going to get bored. And I, I, I'm, I'm old school. I feel this ruthless obligation to the audience to keep things interesting. Right. You know, so that's, that's what I try to do. You know, just keep thing keep things interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, Harriet had a lot of different beats and a lot of different rhythms, yeah. and and it really turned. It, it didn't turn the story of Harriet upside down, but it really did inform people the right. depth of who Harriet Tubman yes. really was. Well, a good friend of mine, I, I said, you know, there's so much more I wanted to be in the movie, like storyline with John Brown and all that. He said, listen, he said it's fine. He said just showing the Underground Railroad that we were helping to free ourselves is all you had to show. He said that was it. That was enough. Right. I said, okay, I never thought of it like that. All right. Huh. Yeah. Um, I saw, and I didn't necessarily know this because I remember when you told me about the movie and then you you texted me the announcement and deadline and the trades. I mean, I was just through the moon. Yeah. about that but one thing I didn't know until I saw the movie was that uh, you were a producer on yeah, the film yeah that's right yeah absolutely well that's because a writer shopping his own script no one's going to pay attention to you mm-hmm. they're just not what they're looking for is someone who's going to help them with the work and what work is that making these goddamn phone calls begging for money I mean it's it, it is a brutal process and I had to take time away from my writing to do that mm. you know so a couple of days a week I'm on the phone with people and I had massive contacts because I've been in business so long you know getting on, and I mean I, you know the people I started with were fetching coffee and now they're running studios so I know everybody and, I, and you know I was talking to people with presidents productions and you know, production and all that, and control of budgets, you know, in control of a film budget of several hundred million dollars. I was just trying to get a little piece of my say, Oh, Greg, I love you, but I said, You piss away. This is nothing. <laughs> but did, right. did they say, Oh, but this is going into the, the Marvel movie? <laughs> yeah, they said, But see, those things are going to make money. I've, I've been hearing that from the beginning. Let me, I'll, I'll give you one little thing parenthetically. When Jerry bought. Or option Titans. They brought me in. They said, we're going to make this. We make three movies a year. He said, these two movies are going to make money. Yours probably won't make any money, but Jerry, you know, Jerry loves it. And this is his producing partner. He said, one of them is about these girls who own a bar. That's going to make a lot of money. And the other one is about a car theft movie. Hmm. Gone in 60 seconds. And the other one was Coyote. They're going to make big money. Your movie's not going to make any money. Well, Titans outgrows both of them. They didn't know. By far. By far. Jerry said, uh, you know, so no one knows. You know, you can say, you know, just like this Charlie's Angels that came out. If you'd have told me that Harriet's going to outgross Char- Charlie's Angels three or four, You could, I would have taken that bet myself. <laughs> you know? Right. I would have I bet on Charlie's Angel. Right. Yeah. But I, I mean, it seems I, to make sense, but you, it, you don't know. You never know. That's true. And I, 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 it's the old adage in Hollywood: nobody knows anything. Nobody at, knows. At anything. the end of the day, but you know. But I, I still feel that there is the audience, and that's what's important. And they can sense a good story, and they're not always looking for the brand. You know, right. and you know, it has an A cinema score. 
Right. So that says a lot. That's the audience. Oh, yeah. You know? And of oh, course, yeah. the critical praise. And then it beat expectations at the yep. box office by far. Yep. At the box office. If, if, you know, it touches people. And that's what Jerry said with Titans. He said it touched people. If you, if you can reach into them and touch them, the movie will do well. Hmm. See, people have become inured to advertising and marketing. It's just, it doesn't, I, I'm not sure if it moves people. I'm not sure if it gets even people in the theater anymore. They've been so inundated with stuff. But when someone calls up someone, you got to go see that. Mm. That that means more than everything. So it's word of mouth. Right. And this thing held, what is today? The um, 24, three weeks had a hold of 35 in other words, it's just off 35 in the third week. That's what happened to Titan. Titans did open at 20, so it had a nice opening. That damn thing held. I think it only lost 10% in the second week, and they said, oh, my God, we're done. Usually you use somewhere between 40, sometimes 70% after one. Midway, it, they call it fall apart. Yeah. In other words, you start to lose theaters, audience, fall, you know, they call the movie falling apart. Well, Midway was falling apart in the third week. Mm. Okay. Yeah. This still had by fall apart. We still got the same number of theaters, so it hasn't fallen apart yet. And that says a lot because the window now, the that, windows are so much smaller. Yeah, now. that's what happened with the Titans. I saw that damn thing was holding. It was off ten percent. They said everybody's talking about it because the damn thing's only off ten percent. We didn't lose any theaters. Mm. Then the next week, fifteen. That damn thing just held up. Even five or six weeks in, you know, it lost theaters. It still hadn't fallen apart. Didn't fall apart until until it was over a hundred million dollars. Wow! And that was all. That wasn't marketing. That was people talking about it. Right. Yeah. So I think now the expectations for Harry. I mean, hoping that you know we're, we're starting to get into the Oscar season and the award season buzz. Um, do you have any thoughts? I mean, obviously that the prestige factor and how that could potentially help the film moving forward from here. Well, it'll certainly help. It. I mean, it always does. Uh, Cynthia. The star is going to be nominated for Best Actress, almost certainly with the Oscars and maybe with the Golden Globes as well. And she co-wrote the song, Stand Up, which is an anthem, which is amazing. That's going to get nominated. I think it'll win. Mm. It's, it's an amazing song. So I think it's, you know, we're looking at at least two Oscar nominations. Now, whether it gets nominated for Best Picture, I can't tell you. Mm-hmm. you know, no one can. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, certainly I enjoyed the movie from start to finish. Great. Enjoyed it as much as Titans. Titans Good. being one of my favorite films Good. of all time. Um, I really thank you for coming out Thanks. to Screen Heat Miami. Good. You spend time. You live here, and you spend time in LA as well. Yeah. So, almost by coast. By yeah, you are. Yeah. So yeah. for us, it's it's perfect. Yeah. It meets our it meets our Miami standard. Okay. <laughs> it does. And it definitely meets our screen heat standard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you mind? I know that we have maybe two more minutes. The, yeah. Our our little just last piece before we wrap up is we always ask uh, of our guests. Uh, it's a two-part question. You can answer it however you want. And the first part is, what advice would you give yourself uh, when you were growing up? Uh, if when I was had, growing up? Yeah. If you could go back yeah, yeah, yeah. and talk no, to your 16 or 18-year-old self. Your back-to-the-future self can go back. I probably would have told myself, you know, to exercise every day. 
That's, you know, now you talking about anything creative or anything like that? Not really, because I needed to have all those experiences. But if I go back and talk to myself, <laughs> I just would have exercised. And, and I'll boil it down. I should have walked for an hour a day. That's what I, even that. You know, I played sports in high school, played sports one year in college. But other than pick up basketball, which I played probably until I was 27, then I just kind of stopped doing everything. You know, mm-hmm. I'm still young and healthy. You know, I just no the, the 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 grand thing I tell myself: don't take your health for granted. And that's what I would have told myself. But nothing else, because you know you had to experience, you know, all the things I experienced. You know, the the pain and the, the joy and everything else. But yeah, I would have I would have you know if, if I had the wisdom to talk to my younger self: don't take your health for granted. Hmm. The second part of that is: what advice would you give to people? that want to get into the industry now or just getting into the industry or just kind of well, just you, get, you know, writer rights. You know, I have no sympathy for new writers and they approach me all the time. You know, oh, help me. I, first of all, no one can give you a career. That's number one. Number two, when I was trying to break in, I wrote 18 screenplays before I sold one. So I don't have sympathy with people who are lazy and people who write one script and expect the town to get all excited. I slaved almost three years, two and a half years, writing, 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 and none of those scripts sold. But they turned me into a writer, so I don't have any sympathy for people. If you want to break in, you better get in that room. That's what I said. No director's going to do that because it's not social. You You have to be kind of born a writer, not necessarily with a writer's skill, but with the... Uh, comfort in being alone for not just several hours a day, but for weeks and months. It's not a normal thing. And that's probably why writers as a group tend to be, uh, you know, alcoholics, drug users, and asocial misfits because you work alone. Not just writers, painters, same thing. You know, we're all a little nuts because you have to spend so much time alone. There's no other way to do it. It's not a social uh, profession at all. And most people are not constructed like that. They need people around them. Oh, I need people. I don't. And I'm not unusual. No writer does. You ask me, you need people around them? tell you, hell no. I'm content. Let me have a pad and a pen or, you know, and I'm content. You got to kind of be born with that. Hmm. And that's, you know, that's it. So just write. The writer writes. I'm telling you, the number of people in town, Quentin Tarantino and Woody, there aren't even five or six who write and direct. Not even. Now, are there people who do it? Of course, they're all, for the most part, hacks. Because they give short shrift to the writing. Because it's hard. And they can't wait to get something down on paper so they can go direct. And then they're the general of an army. Mm. And it shows in the work. That's it. You, you want to know what the problem in Hollywood? Too many writer-directors who can't write and barely can direct. Quentin Tarantino, I saw Django, the script, five years before the movie was made. Because he sent it to an actor who's looking for a lead, Academy Award winner. And he gave it to me. So what do you think? 
I said, it's an entertainment. I don't know if it's right for you, but I said, boy, that's a hell of a script. Five years. And he wasn't looking for, he was looking for talent, but no, he spent five years. That's what he does. He sends the script out, brings it back, works on it again. And then by the time he's ready to shoot, that damn thing is dense. But he, if you if you ask Quentin, are you a writer or director? He'll tell you, I'm a, I'm a writer. He'd tell you that. He's said that before, and he is. But the rest of them, no, they can't wait to get out of that room. Hmm. See, all I have is the room. That's it. You know, I worked with John Singleton on Till for the past two years, till he passed away. And I said, now, are you going to co-write with these? He said, no, I hate writing. And he's an award-winning writer. He said, you're going to write every word. Wow. And I did. And I said, you know, I said, okay, I understand. Just tell me what you want, and I'll get us there in an elegant way. that's That's all I do. And he was happy. I work very well with writer directors because they understand how hard the writing is. And the most important part of a movie, and the hardest part of a movie, is the script. That's what Jerry Bruckheimer said. And he's after, he said they're all challenging. He said the script. That's the hard part. And that's where these movies fail. It's not the directing. As a group, we have the best directors in the world. Fails at the script level. If you get that right, everything will work. If you don't get it right, nothing will work. You can't save it. I've seen so many movies with great director, great actors, every production that got everything. Everything but a script. <laughs> everything. Cotton Club is a perfect example. Everything but a script. Wow. Everything but a script. And then you find, like, you're 10 minutes, and it's like, shit, is this thing over? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. People start. That's was, a kiss I, of death. Yeah, it was a kiss of death. I was in a pre. I was in a premiere. I swear to God, we were 15 minutes in, and the you know agents have a shorter attention span than me. 15 minutes in, and I saw the the, the group of agents over there. 15 minutes. Wow. There's no story. There's no script. Hmm. So the scripts. It's the script. It's 100 percent the script. You get that. You know. Nothing else has to work. I still say She's Gotta Have It was Spike's best movie. I don't care that the actors couldn't act. It doesn't matter. What a story. What a story. What a script. What a story. It was, it was, it was amazing. He has an equal that. And what was the budget for it? 30 or 40,000? Not doesn't matter. What was the budget for Moonlighting? A million dollars or something? Doesn't two, matter. Two million? Yeah. It, 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 it's the script. Slumdog Millionaire, uh, you know, eight million dollars doesn't matter. Mm. That damn thing, boy. I'm telling you, when 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 you get that script right and you 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 get sucked into a movie, that nothing matters. That's true. And if it isn't, nothing can save it. <laughs> <laughs> well, wow! Thank you. That's, uh, that's great parting words. Yes. Yeah. Powerful. This is great. Thank you for being a little social with us today and coming in and doing that. This sure. has been fantastic. Dropping meat on the mic. Yes. Okay. This was hot. This is one of the best. Okay. I'm excited. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Greg. All right, we're back in. Sizzling. Ooh. Sizzling. White hot. And not only sizzling, I mean, what I really loved about this, especially if you're a writer, you know, this is the interview to listen to because it was a masterclass. Yes. And that's what I love about everything that Greg does. You know, he imparts information. It's educational. It's entertaining, of course. And, you know, he's had such a long and storied career. But Greg writes on many different levels. 
So, you know, the essays, you know, that whole thing about Muhammad Ali. I mean, that was incredible. Mm. When he was at the Miami Medium Film Market, it was just a couple of weeks after Muhammad Ali passed. Yeah. And that was a very personal moment. He talked about his relationship with Muhammad Ali and almost brought me to tears. Yeah. And I was conducting the masterclass, you know. So, you know, but, you know, essayist, playwright. You have people like Terrell Alva McCraney, who, you know, is a multi-hyphenated. But Greg has been doing it for so long, you know. And now, hit movie, producer. I mean, the guy is just a tour de force. The writer writes. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it's amazing. And yeah, talking about the Oscar buzz, uh, you know, already a lot of traction for Cynthia Erivo, uh, who may get an EGOT out of this. Yeah. She's, she is an incredible singer. Yeah. And then, yeah, obviously, yeah, the original song. And EGOT. Can yeah. you tell our listeners exactly what EGOT is? EGOT. Uh, it is not a character from The Hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, when you achieve this amazing feat of winning an Emmy. Grammy. A Grammy, right? Oscar and Tony. Tony, Tony Award. Yeah. So those are the big ones. She and played Harriet. And that's part of the reason why she was cast for the movie. She played Harriet um, um, in uh, uh, theater form. Right. And she was so tremendous in that. Hmm. So it was, you know, an easier transition to have her as the actress. Yeah, I mean, she, actress for obviously she, she knew the character already, essentially. Everybody. I mean, the, and the play, you know, critically praised. Of course. Bought it made a lot of money. So, hmm. yeah, it was easy. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we hope, you know, obviously for our friend Greg, hopefully the screenplay category could be something there. Yeah. Yeah, we hope so. But you know how this works. You know, know. once it starts, that that train starts rolling. It's the machinery. Yeah. Yeah. The buzz. But, yeah, we got a buzz in everyone's ear. Yeah. And and I did talk about and I talk about, you know, I remember when, uh, you know, Greg first taught, you know, told me. And I remember when the story came out in Deadline, you know, Greg had texted me about that, you know, the report in in Deadline. And I was blown away, you know, being, you know, an African-American. I was just... You know, again, that's another moment that almost brought me to tears that this was going to come to the screen and then to actually see it on the screen. Yes. You know, just, you know, so everyone, you know, you need to go and see that movie. But, the you know, obviously the, the and we saw it in Greg's piece in the L.A. Times, the controversy and, and the long just. Well, we did talk about that. We were going to talk about that. Remember? Yeah. From the intro. So this yeah. is this is the second part of that. Which is there is controversy and it involves Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts was recommended by a sub. Well, he refers to as a studio sub label president to play Harriet. That is something. And luckily, according to the article, there was one other black person in the room that said, "Do you guys do know that she was black, right?" Yeah. To which he said, it was such a long time ago, no one's going to remember. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So this was first reported in an article in the L.A. Times. And yes. this was an exclusive article with Gregory Allen Howard. Of course. So, But it has since gone, gone on to so many publications. I know. It, it went viral. That, that, that little nugget has had legs that's that's up there with scorsese's cinema versus movies debate almost yeah absolutely i mean you know it's gone on to uh everything from entertainment weekly of course tmz because they're going to get they're going to jump on anything the hollywood reporter cnn uh cbs news nbc news so this story has gone 
like a blaze. Oh, yes. I mean, it lit like on fire. Blaze. Yeah. And this is something, you know, you know, decades ago, you know, that this was first, um, I guess, suggested in that meeting. Right. You know, so it's it's not, you know, a, a current thing, but every everything is current now. Well, yeah. Because and, yeah. news that happened, right. you know, 30 years ago. Or even, you know, ten let's say ten years ago on your Twitter feed, they're gonna go back over your right. Twitter feed and they're gonna find it. Right. But it was a very interesting sort of seg- to understand. Uh, and Greg talks about climate change and how that's what allowed Harriet to finally happen. Yeah. And imagine being in that climate in the nineties where you're trying to tell this authentic, historically accurate story. And uh, an executive at a, at a major label tells you something that far out of left field because at the time, yeah, they, they were obsessed with the star packaging. Yeah. And and the fact that they would go to that length, you know, to tell that story that way just goes to show you what an uphill battle it was for Greg over those two and a half decades. Yeah. We said 26 years. Yeah. 26, 27 years. So, you know, kudos, uh, Mr. Howard. He stuck with it. Yeah. And everyone involved. You know, sure. Everyone did a phenomenal job. Oh, yeah. 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 So we're excited for him and for the project. So that's going to be it's going to be fun. Miss Monet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So moving on, let's jump into the holidays. Oh, yes. I'm feeling holiday. The most wonderful time of the year. Thanksgiving is right now. Yes. Thanksgiving is here. Miami weather will go down to the brisk 70s and 60s. It'll be 50 at 7 a.m. It might be the chilly 50 degrees where we pull out all of our leather, fur coats. Right. But you know what's so funny about that and how Miami weather loves to tease you? By 3 p.m., it's already like 90. <laughs> That's right. So you go out of the house and you're like yeah. sweater. And- There's a funny meme. I think I shared it. It's like... Uh, Miami weather is like when you see a state trooper, it drops from 90 to 55 over. <laughs> right. That's right. Absolutely. We're going to put that meme on the website. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah. We've had a little, um, if, you, if you've been to the website, um, we have just redesigned it. So you're going to have to take a look at that. Um, we're adding more content, we which we, we did, you know, from the start, mm-hmm. have that as, you know, part of what we want to do here at Screen Heat Miami. Oh, yeah. So, you know, there's more um, information. Okay, so what holiday gifts does Hollywood have to offer this season? Huh, they have quite a few. I'm looking forward to A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Oh, yes. Tom Hanks. Speaking of Oscar buzz. Oh, yeah. Just give it to him. I know. We talked about that before. Those other Oscars are getting lonely. It's been a while. Come on, Tom Hanks. You're selfish, man. He needs triplets. <laughs> it's just selfish. <laughs> oh, Tom. But uh, it's funny. There was another little story. I don't know. Some of our viewers may have saw that. Apparently, some reporter dug up some obscure fact that at some point, Tom Hanks was actually related to Mr. Rogers. They actually, Really? They share an ancestor. Oh. Huh. Yeah, I didn't know that. I think they surprised him with that on a red carpet, and he was like, "What?" Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> he knew. He knew. He, Ralph, he knew his, him. His publicist set that up. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that was uh, that's a, a great little nugget. He to, embodies to him so yeah. well. Yeah, he does. I mean, he's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That just seeing the trailer, like I too get well. Goosebumps. The same jeans. Yeah. What a show. That's his. That's his. That's his trick. Yeah, he is. He is America's everyman. <sighs> Man. So Related what? to Mr. Rogers. <sighs> yeah. That's so it is. What we else? do have, what well, we did, we talked about Oscar Buzz, and there is an animated film that I forgot to mention. Huh. Because we are Screen Heat Miami. 
Ah, and you know, the animation category has expanded. So, you know, you have more offerings and more opportunities to, to, to get in that category, but we may have a repeat. You think of a Miami director, our local Lord, Mr. Phil. Ah, yes. We have Lego movie. The second part, which I really loved, right? You know, it's just, you know, another brilliant take. Mm. Um, so they're talking about that particular film for Oscar buzz. So hats off again to Mr. Lord. He won for Spider-Verse. That's right. So he would be a repeat. Oscars. Yeah. So he, he would be a repeat. But I mean, he's really just, you know, blowing up. And of course, you know, we have to give it up to Chris Miller, too. Of course. You know, yeah. His uh, his partner and everyone else that's involved, you know. But, uh, you know, we, Phil Lord is from here. So we have to give the special nod. That's two hats off. Yes. You know, that's two shots of cafecito for you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, and then we have, of course, episode nine. The Rise of Skywalker. Oh, Come. yes. Could it be the first $2 billion movie? Man, Disney is just murdering it. Yeah. And that's as if that was their only thing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> because, of course, you know, what, what holiday season would be complete without Frozen 2? Yeah. Yeah, we didn't mention that in the jump, the the uh, uh, the jump off. Yeah. That'll be playing. The intro. But, yeah. But... I just want to go back into Rise of the. Uh, I just want to go back into Rise of Skywalker, because we cannot just go past that quickly. No, you can't. You can't just brush past that because that that is the end of an era, the culmination of the full saga. Yeah, and so, you know, everyone has the buy-in to that because it's generational. It really is. Yes. And so because it's generational, you have, you know, people from the 70s when you had that very first Star Wars that are going to come out to see this last one. Yeah. You have people from the second push-off. Right, the late 90s. The late 90s. And now... You have the new generation. Yeah. So everyone is going to come out to see this. The perfect storm. It is the perfect storm. Perfect storm trooper, you might say. (laughs) Very good. We have Star Wars puns. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I I am really, really looking forward to this. And I I predict, and not just me, you know, this is going to really break the box office. Oh, yes. It's going to break the box office. And... I just want to recap some Disney news. Mr. Howard teased something that I am looking forward to if this comes into fruition. Remember the Titans, the series. Screen heaters, that was an exclusive. It was an exclusive. If you listen through this entire podcast to now, you have found a very magical little Easter egg nestled cozily in our interview golden nugget and you know that really that's what we like to do you know of course the journey of the people that we interview but also you know it's past present future yeah yeah how everything comes back around so it's interesting that now and and you know you have 
with Harriet, all this attention to Greg Howard again and his his talent as a writer and as a producer, obviously, but then coming around the same time that Disney Plus launches, giving new life to Remember the Titans. Yeah, which you heard what he said. He gets those residuals still. That's fine. And you can't say that about a lot of movies, you know? Yeah. Most movies, because they just disappear into the abyss yeah. of, you know. But there's certain special stories like that that, like we said, have legs. Those stories have legs. And and particularly this one, because it, it is such, uh, I think we mentioned it, an evergreen story. This is something that is resonant now as it was when it was first released. Yeah. 20 years ago. Yeah. So uh, hopefully, you know, that one is uh, one that we will be following taking up a look on. at. Yes. And, we, and following up as on. As soon as we get anything official in the trades, we will report it right back to our listeners. Our second interview with uh, Mr. Howard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that would be fun. So we're looking forward to, we have a, a special guest. Again, all of our guests are, you know, they, they've been, you know, really amazing. You know, so we do have another special one for after the holidays. So um, definitely, you know, you guys have to listen for that. And we'll have a few seeds on the website, which is ScreenHeatMiami.com, that are planted just Easter eggs mm. about the next guest. Yes. So it's going to be fun. So stay, stick with us. Enjoy this one over the Thanksgiving weekend. Don't eat too much turkey. And if you do, get some screen heat. Screen heat like my bacon wrapped turkey. Sounds delicious. <laughs> Bring some leftovers to the next recording. There you go. <laughs> Next time, I'll try to do Cuban style, a whole pig. Yeah, there you in go. In the box. Oh, wow. What do you call that box? The, the Chinese box. It's a, uh, Sorry, in, in Spanish, you would say cajachina. A cajachina. Loosely translates to the, to the Chinese box. The Chinese box, yeah. That's next Turkey Day. But for this Turkey Day, um, hopefully you all will stuff yourselves yes. with Thanksgiving fare and stuff yourselves with... The streaming and the movies because there's a lot out there and we'd like to thank you all for listening so far this is our 17th episode and we are moving we we're are going there. straight forward lucky 17 and we're plowing ahead <laughs> to the sun <laughs> to the stars so right. i'm kevin sharpley i'm jl martinez and we'll catch you next time dolly <laughs>